Welcome to the Leadership Drip, coffee and conversations for leaders leading the next generation. We're excited to welcome another incredible guest to our table, but before we do, could you do us a favor and hit the subscribe button? And while you're at it, go ahead and give us a five-star review. That helps these conversations reach other great leaders. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready to join us at the table for another great episode of the Leadership Drip. Rob, we are back at the table, and coffee's hot, as is the summertime heat here in Cleveland, Tennessee. Though I, when we release it, it'll be almost fall time. But I, yeah. I have a shocking confession oh, to please, make. Please, please tell the people. So about a month ago, yeah, I went off of regular coffee for the first time in a well, my life since you were like four, probably. Yes, and so. I am now drinking decaffeinated coffee on the regular. It's a, it's an age thing, I believe. <laughs> so so if we're making confessions I about am, about a year ago, I had to drink only decaffeinated coffee after three p.m. because I couldn't sleep. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry to all those fans who follow us, and Justin, I apologize to you. So, but. Well. Well, before before three, it is for me, but Listen. Rob, not so much. But yeah. we do have Justin Kendrick, our guest with us. He's the founding pastor of Vox Church, which is a great church name in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, and he's recently authored a book called Bury Your Ordinary. And it's really a focus on discipleship. We love the conversation yep. discipleship. Justin, welcome to the table. Thank you for having me. So I, I got to ask. You're you're in the Ivy League, Yale yes. centered place yes. of the planet. Like, what is campus culture? Because we're here in the Southeast Bible Belt. Everybody loves Jesus. Wink, wink. What's life like at Yale? Yeah. Wow. So I'm in New Haven, Connecticut. We have nine locations in our church, but our first campus was in New Haven, which is like our campus is probably two blocks from Yale University. So we get hundreds of college students. Uh, you know, 2% of people attend church on a regular basis in New Haven. So it's a little different than, than the buckle, you know, down where mm -hmm. you guys are. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's funny. College students, of course, with Yale, you get all types of ministries popping up. I mean, there are more ministries at Yale University than any campus I've ever seen. I mean, everybody has a ministry to reach Yale students. And our niche as a church, it's been interesting. A lot of people are using like apologetics and, you know, trying to like really uh, – kind of approach the people at Yale that way. What we found is that a lot of students, uh, they're not interested in learning the historicity of the New Testament. They're a lot more interested in just experiencing Jesus. And so mm. uh, we have just genuinely said, listen, we invite you into real community and we invite you into a community that's not just your peers, but is a diverse community, ethnically, racially, age-wise. And we found it to be incredibly effective at reaching Yale students. I mean, an encounter with Jesus really does kind of uh, supersede, you know, uh, right. a, a PhD in, in apologetics. And so we have seen hundreds of hundreds of students baptized, meet Jesus, completely transformed. So honestly, it's pretty exciting. I mean, I know that there's a lot of work to do. There are millions of people across New England that are really far from God and have nothing to do with church. But there's also a very real spiritual hunger, which is pretty mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah, That's a really interesting conversation because, I mean, you're obviously right square in the middle of sort of an intellectual community, a pocket uh, of the country, right? I mean, with the Ivy League schools, Yale, everything right there. So um, let's, let's just take a, a typical sermon for you, for example, right? And obviously people can go online and catch those. But 
I would love to know how you sort of work out the the balance and the rhythm in your messaging for for the more intellectual sort of conversation versus the more relational. Not that those two are you know uh, opposed to each other, but but you you understand what I'm saying, right? I mean, how do you how do you work that into how do you work that into your rhythms? Oh, totally. Yeah, it's a dance, and and I've really worked hard, and I'm I, I know I have a long way to go, I'm sure, but in weaving those two worlds together because. You know, I'll address directly intellectual concerns about whatever issue we're talking about, suffering, injustice, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But I always try to drive people to a personal encounter with Christ, just really bring them to the place of experiential knowledge. And so um, I don't ignore uh, more of the heady topics, but I try to allow the heady topics and the actual like spiritual encounter experience to really come together. Mm -hmm. And that's where I feel like, honestly, my niches, God sort of set me up for that. Like, I love those two worlds. I love wrestling with the big theological issues, but then at the same time, actually bringing it back to a place where you experience Jesus. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a blend of those. And some sermons lead one way and some sermons lead another, but most have kind of an element of both in them. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously I hope, I hope it's effective. You know, we're always trying to yeah. be effective. Um, but uh, I don't know if there's a perfect way to do it, but I'm pretty intentional about it. Yeah, oh, very cool. And I so, think that's the key right there is, yeah, is how intentional yeah. you are. So, so you, you, you've mentioned that you guys are reaching college students and, and from the start kind of have. Yeah. What's been the wins for you? In, and you said the students experiencing Jesus. But what have been some of the wins early on and how you guys built those relationships with the campus of Yale and with student bodies um, just in that area? Yeah, so... Like I said, we have, we have nine different locations. So some of our campuses, probably three or four, are really in university centers. And so mm -hmm. we're in Springfield, we're in Hartford, we're, uh, we're prepping for Providence right now, which is where Brown University mm -hmm. is. Yeah. And so, you know, you've got all these Ivy Leagues tucked up in this corner. We'll be in Boston in a couple of years, and uh, I'm sure we'll probably have a location right near Harvard but um, and MIT. But, you know, for us, in the earlier days of the church, we were pretty intentional just to be on the campus. So... I mean, simple things like passing out water bottles to kids who were, you know, playing Frisbee in the quad and, you know, just active in the community and, and a, a consistent voice. We used to do these welcome packs where we would welcome all the freshmen with these packs and stuff. Uh, but what we found was that, um, you know, like any college campus ministry, uh, things are compound. And so now like we, we don't do a ton of stuff on the campus. Honestly, the students come to us because the sophomores are telling the freshmen and the juniors are telling the sophomores. And so by the time the seniors leave, they've already recruited freshmen and, and so So there's this constant flow of new students showing up at our door. And there are 20 something active, awesome campus ministries at Yale. And we partner with a bunch of them, but we kind of offer something that none of them do. And that's a local church experience. Right. Right? Yeah. And so we don't do small groups on the campus, uh, but we do small groups all around the city and a lot of students decide, you know what, I want to be a part of a small group that's beyond students. And so we kind of fill that gap of like, hey, serve the community, connect with the city. Uh, Yale students don't really do that outside of the local church. And right. so um, that's kind of been our niche. And it's been like a real need. Yeah. So yeah. we don't do college campus like ministry per se on the campus. But honestly, there's so much going on. It, it, we're a better fit right outside the campus. Gotcha. Right. So, so here, here's a, um, a constant struggle that we have, even at Christian colleges and universities, mm -hmm. right? Is you get incoming freshmen who are living their own experience for the first time away from home. They're, they're 
obviously being confronted with, you know, numerous different options and opportunities and temptations or whatever. Right. So they come in, they have a strong faith. They have it. They have a strong faith system, a strong faith background. They're not losing their faith, but they're not practicing it in, in the context in which they are now living. Right. So getting, getting a, a young Christian, um, even who, one who's dedicated and committed to the, to the cause of Christ, getting them to actually show up and to become a part of a local church is a puzzle. So um, not, not that you guys have done it perfectly, and, and we certainly haven't done it perfectly either, but, but how have you been able to sort of reach out and incorporate those students into the local church body? Because that's a huge, that's a huge puzzle even, even for us here in Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, some of it is just intentionality around our friendships with campus ministries. So there's probably five or six campus ministries that are constantly recommending our church to students. And so that's how they end up getting in the door. It's Chi Alpha, it's Christian Union, mm -hmm. it's um, uh, Campus Crusade, which is, you know, crew now. Mm -hmm. uh, all There's probably five or six that, that really constantly send us students. And then once they're there, we try to just encourage them that to really grow in their faith, they need more than their five 19 year old friends. You know, like yeah, they really yeah. need to know a married couple and they really need to know someone who's working in business and they, they need to expand their horizons. And so uh, just inviting students to say, Hey, you're only here for four years or some of them shorter or longer, but you know, invest in relationship beyond your age group. That's always our pitch to them. And so, uh, so far that's been really effective, small groups and then outreach in the community they seem to gravitate towards those two kind of areas of the church and uh and we tie them in and then you know it's just we run with them as hard as we can and then we send them out you know yeah, and yeah. Uh, we end up baptizing a bunch of their friends and seeing them meet jesus and i mean it's crazy the people that we've baptized and sent seen meet christ literally like leaders from across the world international leaders senators kids i mean i could list movie stars kids that we baptize i don't want to blow them up on the podcast but you know i mean you get all <laughs> yeah. kinds at, at this yeah. you know, at the ivy league schools and so it's pretty cool that's pretty cool so yeah. so justin your your new book is bury your or bury your ordinary and it's a focus on discipleship yeah how has the context of living in the northeast especially new haven shaped your understanding of discipleship oh man i mean i think it's kind of like for me uh, the meat and potatoes of the book. So, you know, I know everybody, everybody across America and the world says, Hey, where we live, it's the hardest place to reach people. And that's because <laughs> it's hard to reach people, you right. know what I mean? Like period. So I'm not yeah. even going to compare whatever, um, you know, New England is a particularly, you know, dif difficult place, challenging place. Very, very few people have a Christian background or read the Bible or pray. And in some ways that's been a unique advantage to us because mm -hmm. when we share Christ, you are literally starting with a blank slate. And so yeah. like right now, like when I talk about these habits, you know, the whole idea of the book is that, you know, Christian maturity is ultimately the growth of agape love in your life. And so, you know, Jonathan Edwards said, if you want to make one mark of Christian maturity, it's the outworking of agape, right? And so the degree in which I love, that's what maturity really is. It's not how many Bible verses I know, or, you know, what seminary I went to. It's my ability to love God and love others in greater measure. And so if that's the case, then how do I grow in love? Well, I've found that the best way to grow in love is some intentional habits. And those habits actually bend my heart towards love and over time mature me in Christ because they grow my love. And so uh, the book is really based on these seven habits that I've spent about 20 years really tinkering with. And, uh, and what I've found is, 
when you teach these to new Christians who don't have a Christian background, they're actually much more open. So for yeah. example, like the first habit is kind of like simple, but in some ways revolutionary, it's spend the first hour of your day alone with God. Now I know a lot of Christians who have a quiet time and it's three and a half minutes when they read and you know, a, a thing on the Bible app and then they get in their car and listen to a podcast and that's their time with God. I teach these guys that just met Jesus to spend an hour and within a few weeks of them meeting Christ, they're spending an hour because right. they learned that's what Christians do. You know, they don't know that 99% of Christians don't do that. And so the habits actually stick, we've found in the Northeast faster because mm. you're not fighting against, well, grandma never did that. Mom never right, did right, that. Right. You know, like my dad never, you know, and so. So, um, yeah, these habits have kind of been born out of what I would call more of like a blank slate discipleship where we're able to like start fresh with people and kind of teach them a new normal. And that's why the book is called Barrier Ordinary, because a lot of people have an ordinary vision of discipleship uh, and it's not really working. Right. Like, yeah. are, am I really growing in my faith through my through my current vision for spiritual growth? And I think a lot of Christians would say, eh, not really. Yeah. I remember Mark Clark was on our show. Do you know Mark? He's in Vancouver. Okay. Mark, you should know Mark Clark. Yeah. Mark Clark's a good time. Mark Clark. He's at Village Church in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, but talks very similarly. The The left coast of Canada is very much like the east coast of, yeah. of the United States. And he mentions similar things about this blank slate idea that people are coming to him. They may be spiritual, but they have no framework for Christianity, which is a better starting point for helping them understand Jesus than where maybe the context that we're sitting in the South, where the picture of Jesus is the white guy with blue eyes hanging on the grandma's wall. And it's a, it's a different understanding. So I think understanding your starting points critical. Yeah. Big time. I think they both come with challenges, right? Because like when I sit down with a guy and say, Hey, uh, you got to stop having sex with your girlfriend. They're like, are you serious? Whereas I think in the Bible belt, the, the answer is more like, I know, you know, yeah. or like, Hey, let's talk about tithing. And they're like, people do this. Like, that's the response I yeah. get most often. Like what? Like, that's nuts. That's, you know, how much money that is like, you know, like, whereas like, you know, again, I think a lot of times in a more Christian culture, it's like, yeah, I probably should do that. You know? So it's like, yeah, you're right. The starting point is just different and they both come with their challenges, but, um, but yeah, ours is uh, it's a unique context, but it's a lot of fun too. Yeah. So how are you teaching? And you just mentioned the, the sex with the girlfriend and, and these behaviors. How is, how is your, your understanding of discipleship beyond just behavior modification? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So in the book, I talk about this whole idea of how people change. I think it's chapter two, uh, this idea that like, how do people actually really change? And I love uh, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, where he talks about change and he, he outlines different levels of change, right? Like you can play with people's behavior or their outcomes. And that's where most change, uh, you know, is occurring in people. Well, you know, I want to go on a diet, so I'm going to change the food I eat, right? But he talks about that if you really want to change anybody, and this is a biblical concept, it's not a Christian book, but if you really want to change anybody, you have to deal with identity, Mm -hmm. You have to deal with who they see themselves to be. And so if you want to really become disciplined in your exercise, you've got to actually start believing that you're an athlete, actually start believing that you are a person who exercises. And it's, that's a very, very biblical idea because discipleship starts with a new identity where I say, hey, 
out of grace, I am through Christ already blameless, accepted, and loved. Now, from that place, I create habits that teach my heart to believe that. And so you're right. All habits have the danger of religion, right? Which is I do these and now God likes me more. And that's toxic, right? You'll never grow in a relationship with God that way because the, the scandal of Christianity, the mystery of Christianity is that you have to become who you are, right? That God has already decreed in Christ, you are perfect and blameless. You are viewed through the lens of the blood of Jesus and your righteousness is absolutely clean in Christ. Now, if that's true, therefore, from the new sense of self, I spend time with God, not to earn brownie points with him, just to use the first habit, right? Not to make him like me more. He couldn't like me anymore than he already does. But instead, because I've got to get the truth of his love for me deeper into my heart so I can experience the freedom that it brings. And so, you, you know, this discipleship is all about each of these habits teaches your heart to grow in love, which is really rooted in grace, the love that you've already been given. Like John says, I have come to know in first John, we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. And I would say that 99% of issues that Christians face, it's because there's a lack of conviction about how God feels towards them. Mm. Yeah, that's good. So I think you, you also kind of brought up an interesting point in the conversation beyond behavior modification. There's also a challenge for cultural identity, right? So uh, just think about the term Christian alone, right? That's that's problematic in and of itself. So uh, our friend Addison uh, Bevere recently wrote a book, you know, Becoming More Than Christian, right? So that's and the whole idea or the concept is moving beyond these cultural identity labels into actually who who Jesus is. So how do you how do you invite people into the Christian faith and sort of unpack the uh, the claws and the tentacles that are attached culturally to it uh, so that they fully understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, not just a religious label? Like, well, how do you how do you approach that conversation? Yeah, so that's actually a great question. So when I was in college, I started experimenting with that, trying to figure out how do I kind of break down the labels and really live this. And I think the model of Jesus is uh, probably a good place to start, right? And the model of Jesus is he took 12 guys and he spent all day, every day with them for three and a half years. And, and a living flesh and blood, life on life example is the fastest way for those kind of misconceptions to dissolve and what it really means to follow Jesus to become clear. You know, like when my son Noah uh, was uh, he was a while ago trying to draw a picture of a dog and he kept mm. erasing it and drawing it again and erasing it and he started getting frustrated. I said, what's the matter? He said, daddy, I just need a picture. I need, if I had a picture, I could draw this dog, but it looks like a cow and I'm trying to draw it without a picture. And I think that's how a lot of Christians are is like, we have the idea of Jesus, but we don't have any flesh and blood mm. relationships that actually live this. And so in college, by my senior year, I had nine guys in a two bedroom apartment practicing Christianity together. And it was bedlam. I mean, it was craziness, but, uh, I graduated, got married and, uh, my wife and I invited some people to live with us pretty soon. We filled our multifamily house with nine people, all new followers of Jesus doing life together. My friend bought a house right next to ours. He filled it with eight people within five years. We had 13 houses in a four block radius where we were all following Jesus, life on life, flesh and blood. And that's what we actually built. We launched our church out of that wacky, crazy, intentional community thing that we had going. And what I found is since that day, our church has continued to expand rapidly, but the real secret sauce is you've got to live it in community 
when the lights aren't on and when the stage is long gone and when you're living it there, it's catalytic. It just spreads like crazy. Um, But it can't be, you know, this whole American individualism. I have my yard. You have your yard. Let me put up my fence and keep things clean so I can watch TV all day. If you really want to see Christianity grow, you got to take the fence down and you got to give people access to your life. You know, vulnerability creates connection. And so I think all discipleship has to happen in the context of close relationship. And so uh, that's been for us the real secret growth factor when it comes to these habits sticking. So, so are you finding that people want that community and that vulnerability or are you finding people kind of pushing against it because they don't want to be seen and known? Yeah. So it's actually uh, the opposite of what I expected, right? So like, for example, if you're familiar with like the small group movements uh, in South Korea, um, you know, they, people in South Korea, in the church there, they'll invite people to their home for small groups, and they're more likely to come to their home than they are to come to church. Mm-hmm. That's usually the opposite in the West. People are yeah. more actually comfortable to show up at a church, excuse me, than they are to walk into your house for a Bible study. But what we've done is what we've said is we're going to use our church as a, as a more attractional model that people can come hide in the back, hear about Jesus, but not really open their heart to him, you know, and kind of just chill out and check it out. But we're always going to be pushing them towards the home. And there is hesitancy. There's no doubt. Like there is hesitancy to like go into a person's house and really begin to live life together. But there's also this ferocious hunger for close relationship. And so like, we're always combating the hesitancy and the desire to be isolated with like stories of like why community is so powerful when you really open up your life and let people in. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's a fight. But so in other words, what what I'm saying is we use our big gatherings to like call people to smaller gatherings and always champion why that's important. And little, they they trickle in, you know, they kind of trickle in because there is, there is no doubt people don't want to be known. It's the weirdest thing, right? Because people do want to be known so badly but like only on Instagram with a filter, you know, like right. I don't want to really be known where it's like, you know, my life and my junk is, is exposed. And so um, we're always telling them how that's what they need most, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the, it's the drive for the authenticity and the relationships that actually yeah, becomes the, the thing that makes a difference. Right. So uh, we've, we've had several small group conversations. We've had house church conversations on, on the show um, and, and those, I think those are, are realities. In fact, just before the show today, we were talking yeah. about a couple of people that we know, um, in, in high level churches who are now focusing and shifting a lot of their energy and their work yep. into these more community centric, uh, relationally intimate house church, yep. small group phenomenons, small groups are not new, obviously. Right. I mean, that's, that's not a new thing, but, but as, as we've kind of awoken from this pandemic period, right in our country. Um, I think what people are beginning to realize, number one, church doesn't look the same as it used to. Number two, we're not sure that it's actually supposed to look the same as it used to. Right. So, so there's this huge push and this huge drive towards these authentic relationships. And I think, I think there's my personal opinion, I'm not trying to be prophetic, but I genuinely believe there's going to be a massive resurgence of these small group relational house church type of realities uh, that drive people to possibly a local church. Yeah. But maybe well, I, not. Yeah, totally. I hope so. But, but I think that one of the dangers of like a small group model is that, and that's why I wrote this book actually, is that a lot of times it just becomes friends hanging out. Right. And, yeah. and that's great. I'm glad the friends are hanging out, 
but do we have a plan to grow spiritually? And so like these seven habits, the whole idea is to say, Hey, we're in this intentional process together that it's going to challenge us. It's going to force us to deal with some of our junk and we can't just barbecue and chill. Like we have to actually deal with some of the issues in life. And so I'm all for the small group movement, as long as there's actually a plan in place for that right. small group to become discipleship. Yeah. Right. So Justin, you've referenced the seven habits just so our listeners can kind of track with us. Give us yeah. a quick sort of rundown of those seven. Yeah, for sure. So the first three habits, I call them centering habits, right? And so the idea behind the centering habits is, you know, something in my life always seems to be drifting from Jesus. You know, I'm like mm -hmm. a boat out on the ocean and the wind just blows me wherever I want. And so I need habits in my life that are going to keep Jesus central. Those are the first three. The second two, I call them guardrail habits. Those are the ones that keep my life from absolutely falling off the cliff. And uh, I think Christian leaders all across the world, we're seeing this again and again and again. And those two big ones deal with sex and money, guardrail habits, because sex and money seem to be the things that nuke so many people. And then the last two, I call them long haul habits. And those two deal with how do I do uh, a, a life of following Christ for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? What kind of habits do I need to really do that for the long haul? And so um, I'll give you the first three real quick and then we can go wherever you want. But the first three, I, I, the first one I call the habit of relationship. I mentioned it. It's spending the first hour of your day alone with God. And there's a lot to unpack there. What do I do with that time? Why is that important? Why does it have to be the first hour? All those things. The second habit, I call it the habit of radiance. And this is about talking about Jesus with somebody far from God every single week to create an actual cadence in my life where I'm interacting with people who are far from God in a very natural way but an intentional way. And so I'm sharing my faith every week as a way of life. And then the third habit is this habit of receptivity. And what that is, is it's really learning to follow the daily promptings of the Holy Spirit, the habit of being guided by the Spirit. And there's a lot of kooky teaching about that in the church, but I think some people, because of the kooky teaching, have just said, you know, well, let's not ever talk to the Holy right. Spirit. And I don't think that's at all what we see as a model in the New Testament. And so um, those three habits, following the, the daily prompts of the Holy Spirit, sharing my faith every week, and spending my first hour alone with God seem super basic, and they're supposed to be. Those are the centering habits. They're the ones that keep your heart centered. But as far as the Christians I've interacted with over the years, I would say 85% to 90% don't do them, right? right? Like everybody says, yeah, 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 and then we don't do them. And so like, what would happen if we did, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's where you start. Yeah. I don't know that the statistics are, and I'm sure they're they're off the chart. But this idea of of talking to someone about that is not near Jesus about Jesus is not happening in the church. Like inviting them to church may happen, or to your picnic, or to whatever, maybe. Maybe. Uh, but it, in this individualistic sort of centralized like me, me, me American culture, we're just not sharing Jesus. Like. So what's been the response of people to, to that particular habit? Yeah, it's actually been fun. So all these habits have been born out of experimentation, right? Like even the order of the habits, you know, are very, very intentional. So in other words, if I just, I, I'm doing this right now with a guy, I just led this guy to Christ about two months ago and I'm teaching him right now how to have daily time with God. And already two months in, he's spending like an hour alone with Jesus. He's devouring the New Testament. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. And so the next thing I'll do with him is teach him to share his faith weekly. Because what I found is if you can teach someone to share their faith as a young Christian, they're going to share their faith for the rest of their spiritual life. 
if you lose that first year, it is a lot harder to teach them mm. to share their faith. And so we found that if we teach them early in their faith journey, that it's normal to talk about Christ and then give them winsome handles for how to do that, um, they end up kind of sticking with that model for their whole, whole Christian life. But uh, it's actually a lot harder to teach someone who's been 30 years Christian who never shares their faith how to share their faith. But yeah. um, what we always try to teach people is that, I remember reading this years ago, Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ and the Jesus film and everything else. He said, I've never met a Christian who regularly shared their faith, who wasn't spiritually on fire. Mm -hmm. And there's something that happens in the life of a Christian. Like as soon as somebody tells me, oh man, my Christianity is just dull. It's boring. I'm disconnected. The first question I ask is when's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? And it's always like, never. And it's like, okay, let's do this. Let's pick five people, you know, that are far from God. And then we'll pick them and I'll say, Hey, who's the hardest person on that list to talk to? Oh, dude, it's my dad. He'll, he'll freak out. If I ever talked about Jesus, I say, all right, you got a month, you got a month. I'll meet you in a month. You're going to initiate a spiritual conversation with your dad in the next month, pray about it every day, and then fumble your way through it and see what happens. And it's like, if you can just get a person to taste it and they'll be like, they'll come back. And I've done this. I don't know. I don't want to say hundreds, but maybe hundreds of times at this point, one-on-one -on -one, they'll come back and they'll be like, man, it was awesome. Like he wasn't nearly as frustrated or angry as I thought. Like he was actually mm -hmm. open. He told me he wanted to come to church. This is crazy. Like it's amazing. Or they're like, dude, it was terrifying. He shut me down right away, but I don't feel afraid to talk to anybody anymore, you know? And yeah. so, um, that's kind of the process we use to push people. And once you get them over that first kind of hurdle, man, it's crazy. What starts to happen. People start having conversations and we're so, you know, I emphasize not getting into theological debates, not pretending like you have the answer to every question. Just tell your story. Like right. if you just tell your story, it's amazing how God will use it. I think that's so important because I think, you know, especially with, well, not just especially with, with young adults, but any, any follower of Jesus in general period, the challenge is the language barrier. We, we read the Bible and it sounds and reads a certain way. And then we're <laughs> right. supposed to somehow translate that into modern vernacular right. that makes sense to us and to other people. Right. And so I yep. think that the hesitancy a lot of times is that fear of, well, I can't quote the King James or I can't totally. quote the message or I can't. Right. I mean, so and, and we know that from, from our angle, Yes, but helping other people understand that I think is, is the fear factor is one of the biggest hurdles totally. that you don't actually need or, or even, well, there's no way you actually can have all the answers to the questions that others are going to have, but totally. in the practice, in the habit of sharing the gospel, uh, is where, is where the difference is made. I, I love what you said. You don't know what someone's going to say. Oh like, man. Like I remember when I first became a Christian in, in the Marine Corps, um, like I got so many different responses. Like some of them were very much like, I've never heard this before. Like, tell me more. Like, yep. and I didn't even know where to lead them from that <laughs> point. Right. I was like, I don't know anymore, but this is what I know today, right? Then I remember talking to one of my best friends. Uh, we were snowboarding one one day on, on the slopes, and I was like, "Man, I was like, I just need to tell you about about Jesus. Like, you know, this is what's going on in my life." And like, I think he cussed me out for like two minutes straight. Like every every cuss word he could think of, he he threw my way, and it was cool. Like we still rode home together. We had a great day oh. snowboarding, but it was. But yeah. I think it's 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 when you're able to kind of get over those fear factors of, of actually sharing what God has done in your life in your totally. way. That's, yep. that's just the starting point. All the other stuff comes after, right? Big time. And I think that, you know, I think that there is a watching world 
that is actually just desperately looking for something real. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always looking for like an opportunity. And I teach this in the book, you know, uh, just to be genuine and authentic and real, but mm. also like upfront. Cause that's what people want. Like I was, I was in the barbershop a while ago and like three or four of the barbers were talking about all these girls they were sleeping with and everything else and back and forth. And, and I finally, I just jumped in and I was like, man, I am just having awesome sex with my wife and only my <laughs> wife for 17 years. And it's just getting better crickets. And you know what happened after I left the barber followed me out to the parking lot. And he was like, he was like, man, um, I think, I, I think, I think I need to talk to you about God. I ended up leading him to Jesus. And then I married him and his girlfriend in a parking lot, literally in a parking lot, because he wanted to be a man of God and start a family to honor yeah. God. But it all started with a goofy little comment that I made while three guys were talking about all the girls they sleep with. And I didn't condemn them. I didn't say, Hey, yeah. thou shalt not sleep around. Like I just, I just was me. I just yeah. was me. And, and like, people are so hungry for something real because the truth is they know they're empty. Right. And when they hear someone who's not, they're like, wait, what? Wait, how do I, you know, and it's attractive. Mm -hmm. And so I think that just teaching people to just be themselves um, is one of the most powerful things you can do yeah. uh, as you go on this process of discipleship. Yeah. I want to touch base on one more of these habits that you mentioned. Um, yeah. Just a second, the receptivity of, yes. right? The receptivity of the Holy Spirit, right? So yes. yeah. we, we are from a Pentecostal background. We're, we're part of a Pentecostal organization here at Lee University, yeah. right? So yep. There's no doubt that there is a lot of misconceptions oh, and lots. practices about right. who the Holy Spirit is, how he operates, how he speaks, how he works, right? So ghost, you um, mean you mean the ghost? Yes, yes, the Holy, Holy ghost. ghost. That's right. Let's go. <laughs> but no, uh, I got I met Jesus in a Pentecostal church. That's that's yeah, yeah I get it. Right. So I think I think that's also something then in our in our culture, especially as we lean into young adults, um, as as spiritual as they are there seems to be this resistance against, I don't want to say resistance against, but just this, this deep uncertainty about who the Holy spirit is, how he actually speaks to us and what yep. that sounds like. What does that even feel like? I would say it's like? hesitancy. Hesitancy. Yeah. Just yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, is that even real? So like, for example, totally. uh, just a couple of weekends ago, my mentor and former, former boss, Rick Warren, he announced that the spirit had told him it was time to step down. Right. Yep, uh, yep. 40 years, 40, almost 42 years at Saddleback church. And, and people are questioning his judgment, hmm. right? I mean, it, it's crazy to watch right. somebody like that, who, who has been so led by the spirit for so many years and done such a great work yep. that, that they will seriously, like, <laughs> right, right, right. You heard from the spirit on this. Like, I mean, so I think there's so many different perspectives and understandings about who the Holy Spirit is, how he speaks to us. So when you encounter a new yep. believer in New Haven, yep. Connecticut, that has no genuine biblical church background, yep. how do you talk about the Holy Spirit That's and how question. do you sort of introduce him to that person for the first so, time? Yeah, so good. I think the first thing, you know, there's that passage in the book of Acts where um, the disciples find a group of believers and they say, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Mm -hmm. And I love their response. They go, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, right? right. <laughs> so like, I think a lot of new believers, especially in our context, a lot of kind of non-practicing Catholics, you know, they go father, son, Holy Spirit, but that's all they know of the Holy right. Spirit. So the first thing is actually just telling them, Hey, listen, 
God is available right now to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And right away, I have them read the book of Acts. Usually I have them first read one of the gospels. And then like, I just finished this with this guy, Jesse, that I'm walking with right now. And he just finished the book of Acts. And he's like, this is nuts. Like they, this, mm. like God told them not to go to Macedonia, but then to go to Macedonia and not to go to And, and so I'm introducing them right away in their faith, to this idea that God will guide you. And then I often start telling stories of my own life of how the Holy Spirit's guided me, how he's given me words of knowledge, how he's shown me things, how, and then, and of course the first question is, well, how do I, how do I hear his voice? Mm -hmm. And so we practice, we practice together. So we'll just be in a small group and we'll say, Hey, we're going to pray. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit for impressions. And listen, it's okay. Like, you know, you got to get out of that Old, Old Testament prophet mindset. That's like, we're going to throw rocks at you and kill you if you get it wrong. Like <laughs> our attitude is like, it's okay to try to discern the Holy Spirit. Is that just my imagination? Is that just the Holy yeah. Spirit? And so then we practice. And, you know, my wife and I, we're both uh, been following Jesus for a long time. And so, so inevitably what happens is we'll get a pretty strong impression from the Lord and we'll share it. And they're like, you know, like, how did you know that? And, and now all of a sudden they're bought in, you know, they're like, yeah, okay, yeah, this is real because you, how did you even know that that, and then from there, you know, they start their journey. And what I always do is I'm like, let's give them some training wheels. And so I'm like, well, listen, why don't you try to get a sense for what the Holy Spirit's saying? And then just bounce it off me. And I, in the book, I give four different tests that you can use to kind of like check the, the voice of the spirit. So good. Uh, and, and kind of say, okay, is this God or is this me? Mm -hmm. And, you know, by the time you get to those, through those four tests, are you a hundred percent? No, but you're pushed past 50%, you know? And so you can take that step of faith. And so, you know, the whole idea is like learning the voice of the spirit is a process that we're all in. And okay. do we ever arrive? No, sometimes we get it wrong, but as long as we stay humble, um, it really does open up an adventure in our faith. And I think that's what God intended, you yeah. know? love yeah, this conversation but let's too. let's show, let's we'll come back to it maybe but what are the next two habits the two guardrail habits that you yeah. were referring to you want me to give them away yeah yeah all right you all right to give i'll them give them away. away oh i don't mind at all yeah. okay we'll make sure they so, buy the book um, still that's it baby yeah no it's uh you know um the uh the, the next one is the habit of righteousness right and so this is where things get real so if you're in a process with someone you're teaching them to read the Bible. So just imagine, right? You lead a student to Christ. You lead somebody to Jesus. The first thing you do is you get them reading the Bible and praying. What am I doing? I'm giving a map for spiritual growth. Because what happens now? They start to meet with the pastor. They get coffee. They talk about their problems. They pray for each other. There's no plan. There's no plan. It goes on like that for years, right? Uh, why don't you read the Bible? You know, like there's just no plan. And so we start them daily time with God. Second, we get them sharing their faith. As soon as they get traction, on daily time with God, they're sharing their faith. As soon as they get traction sharing their faith, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Now there's trust. Three months have gone by, four months have gone by. We're meeting every week. The person's growing spiritually. They're very excited. And now you drop the hammer on them and you say, hey, let's talk about sex, you know? And so that, that fourth habit is, is really living within biblical sexual boundaries. And in the book, obviously I unpack, what does that look like? You know, how do I live within biblical sexual boundaries? And then I give, again, four specific boundaries that, uh, that a believer needs to embrace. And one of them, of course, is accountability. And so that next habit really deals with sexual purity. And of course, I mean, we know the stats, 98% of men and 77% of women are looking at porn on right. a regular basis. And mm -hmm. so it's like, let me just go on record by God's grace through the, through the goodness of the Holy Spirit. I'm not looking at porn. Thank you, Jesus. Right. And so again, it starts with modeling. Like we need to model righteousness and, and teach guys from the beginning. 
it's actually possible to live holy. This is like not like a myth, like it can be done and it's not for Superman. Like God can enable us to do that. And so uh, teaching righteousness, dealing with sexual sin, this is always like a game stopper, right? People are like, right. Ah! but it's like, Hey, we have trust, you know, I'm for you. You know, right. that we, that, you know, we're in this together and it's a process. I don't expect you to be transformed necessarily in a blink of an eye. We're going to go on this journey together. And so that's habit four. And then habit five really deals with it. I call it the habit of resources. And this is practicing priority percentage, progressive giving. And the whole idea behind habit five is that generosity is always the natural outflow of a life impacted by grace. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm unwilling to be generous, I don't understand the gospel. And so that's what Paul says uh, in Corinthians where he talks about like, Hey, it's, it's actually proves your love by how much you give. And it's not an amount. That's why it's percentage giving. It's a percentage. And so we talk about the tithe, not as a law, but as a principle, as a guideline, and then it's really challenging that person to radical generosity because wherever your treasure is there, your heart will be. And mm. so, um, you know, you can't grow up in Christ and we see this all the time, right? You want to appoint a leader in the church or an elder. And then you look at their giving, you're like, dang, this guy gave 300 bucks last year. I don't think that's really a tithe or even yeah. like a 0.01% of his income, like something's wrong. And yeah, his, his treasure somewhere else. And so mm -hmm. Christian maturity requires the discipline of generosity. And it will also grow your heart, like all these habits in love, because wherever you put your treasure, that's what you're going to love. And so um, that's where it gets real, those two habits. But yeah. when I get generosity first and I deal with sexual purity, man, I just set some two huge guardrails in my spiritual walk. They're going to keep me on track. And I would say this, Justin, that the receptivity habit and the resource habit are sometimes partnered together like yeah. discerning god because it was just recently we, we have a friend who of the show who was planting a church and i don't say it was being disobedient but the lord kept going hey you need to sow into that you seem so to give it to that and i was like okay god i mean i get it you know like i i get yeah, it yeah and finally like i just looked at my wife one day and i'm like i need you to give me a number what's the number right and so we we gave and i was like okay i'm gonna give and whatever and and what's crazy is that through giving to that ministry, then God blessed us. Totally. And that's a hard principle to learn other than learning it the hard way. You got to do it. You just got to do so it. And so the receptivity, the, the, the following, the discernment, the spirit sometimes yeah. helps us learn that where our treasure is there, our heart is also. And if we can release totally. it, he wants to pour more into it, into us, but it can only be learned sort of the hard way of going about it that way. Oh, hundred percent. I know for me, it took me a long time to, to get to that place where I, the shift happened, right? I talk about in the book um, that everyone lives with a concept of life, right? A concept of life is like the story behind your life. Like, what do you believe life is? Some people think life is a race. That's why they're always competing with everybody. Some people think life is a party. That's why they're always waiting for the weekend, right? Mm. But the scripture teaches that life is a stewardship, that everything I have belongs to God. And so how do I steward what's been given? And so when I embrace that concept of life, it actually opens my hand because I realize none of it's mine, you know? And right. so um, that's where things begin. And th it, that's what maturity requires, you know, for us to grow in that, in that life of generosity. Um, and then it's progressive, right? That's the third part. So it's priority percentage progressive. So the progressive part means I'm always stretching. I'm always pushing like, you know, candidly, my wife and I, we gave more money away this year than we ever have, but we gave more money last year away than we ever had before that. And we gave more money before, like that's been our journey. And so um, always saying, Hey, how can we be more generous? Because like Proverbs in the message translation, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. 
and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And so it's crazy how God does exactly that. He expands your life in so many ways as you learn to, what is generosity? It's just acting like God. That's it. That's always his goal, right? Is to make us Mm -hmm. like himself. And so if we're going to act like him, it means we have to be generous because he is. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, but yeah. No, no, it's, it's good. Yeah, this is good. It's really I mean, good. It's really because I think you're right on. There, are, there are so many who are considering themselves faithful Christians who are not being faithful to tithe. Totally. So it's yeah, it's a good reminder to us who are faithful and those who may be listening who are not so faithful. Right. And that's not a criticism or condemnation, but it's an important principle for totally. for those. Yeah, and it it here's here's the the misconception about especially the resources and the generosity is no God is not going to strike you from heaven with his staff <laughs> if you don't tithe this month, right? So that's that's the other side of the spectrum, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But what you are missing out is on the fullness of all that God wants to do in your life potentially totally because you aren't tithing on a regular basis right you're not so trusting if, him yeah you're, you're not you, if you can't trust him with those things how can he trust oh. you with with the with all the pieces yeah that he has for you so it's it's that it's that place where especially as a young believer they come and they say i want everything that god has for me i want to do the change the world and right. jesus simply says hey go sell you all to have give to the poor and follow me and it's like oh whoa hold up a right, second, right, right right you know i've got a 401k i've got you know yep. I've, I've, right you know so and it's, it's the same biblical principle repeated over and over again, generation after generation, yeah. helping young believers, especially young believers, understand that you want everything that God has for you. Yeah, That doesn't start on a platform or an Instagram right. handle or something right. like that. It Good actually place. starts in that secret place, yeah. right? It actually starts by learning who the Holy Spirit is, what he's saying, and then allowing him to move through your life in those ways that yeah. make you often extremely uncomfortable. Totally. Yeah, that's it. And every one of these habits, again, the goal is always, it's going to grow my love. So, you know, uh, Augustine always talked about disordered loves, right? And that's our problem. Like I love TV too much and prayer too little, right? I love seeking God, not enough, but I love, you know, relaxing by the beach, you know, more than I should. And so like all my loves are disordered. It's not wrong to relax by the beach. It's just that they're out of order. And so Mm the goal of these habits is to reorder those loves. And so, you know, giving is one of the ways God reorders our loves when it comes to things. Right. And so, um, every one of these is how does it stretch and grow my love? You know? Yeah, that's good. Well, we're this far down the road. We might as well get the other two. Let's do it. So we get the conversation, uh, closed out. All right, let's get, let's get six and seven long. All All right. All right. So yeah. Habit six is the habit of rhythm, right? And the habit of rhythm is really important because, uh, what is the habit of rhythm? It is the weekly practice of a Sabbath. And this is, uh, this is one of those things. It's so interesting in Christian circles where you say like, Hey, uh, you know, do you murder anyone? No, I don't murder anyone. Okay. Do you commit adultery? No, no, I don't commit it. Okay. Do you lie? No, no. Do you steal? No. Do you honor the Sabbath? Wait, what? Right. So like we look at all the commandments, but then the Sabbath is like the one that we just apparently delete out of the list. And so this idea of Sabbath is embracing the fact that I am not what I produce. I am loved by God and my identity does not come from my performance. And so this commitment to a Sabbath, and it's not just a day off. I go into the book. What does Sabbath really look like? The three practices of pause, pray, and play. How do I really take a 24 hour period every week and actually sanctify it unto the Lord. And so um, it's kind of the forgotten Christian practice. And yet God put it in the book from the beginning, right? Literally on the sixth day, he on the, on the seventh day, he rested, right? And so like 
it's always been there. Uh, but it's just the thing that we, for whatever reason, have deleted out because we're like, Jesus is my Sabbath rest. And it's like, well, yeah, but you learn that by the weekly habit yeah. of actually living it. And so that's number six. Number seven is the most critical habit to real transformation. And that is the habit of replication. And what that means is you take the previous six habits that you are learning and you start growing them in someone else. Wow. So a lot of people, they want to, oh man, I just want to go deep. I want to know the Hebrew. I want to know the Greek. And I'm like, great. Have you ever taught somebody to read the Bible and pray? Well, no. Have you ever challenged someone to share their faith? Well, no. Have you ever discipled anyone in any way? Well, no. Well, then you're not going to grow until mm -hmm. you invest in somebody else. That's your next step. And so yeah. as we grow in these first six, um, habit seven is learning to give it away. Yeah. Very cool. So you referenced the book earlier. Your book, obviously, I'm I'm gonna finish reading, and I recommend if you're in a church setting, you get it as a tool or individually. But you referenced another book that I finished reading probably a couple months ago is James Clear's Atomic Habits. Yeah. So which is a really cool book. It's a fun you, book, Rob. You probably I'll let you borrow it, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> um, and maybe you get the audio version so you can listen to it. Yeah. There you go. So so how how do we make? And he walks you how to make habits stick in sort of a right. A, a cultural setting or in a real life setting, not necessarily in a faith setting. How are you helping people with that sort of context, making these things stick? Cause we all know a habit is, is easily broken. Like I can eat good That's for right. three days and then I go to pizza buffet and it's ruined, you know? So, <laughs> so how are you helping shape the habits? It's one thing to say, do these seven things. That's right. It's another to go, here's how we can make them stick so that we are successful at becoming and creating disciples. Totally. I would say two things. One is, um, you know, if you look at each of these habits as a stone, right, there's got to be mortar that kind of connects all the stones that kind of mm -hmm. makes something stick. Right. And I think the mortar is the gospel. I think what Christ has done for us is actually the power that fuels every single habit. And so that goes back to James Clear's idea about identity, where you yeah. say, Hey, listen, if you are constantly, uh, approaching Jesus, seeing what he's done, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God in him, that I am fully loved, that I am blameless on the day of Christ Jesus, this reality that I've been adopted into his family, that truth really becomes the, uh, the mortar that sticks these habits together in the heart. Okay. So that's like the internal way, but you also need the external way. And that would be gospel community. And so actually on the website, barrierordinary.com, we're going to be posting um, our group study. And to be totally honest, this is what I'm actually most excited about. It's free. We'll give it away to anybody that goes to the website, but the group study just walks through the book with a small group. And every one of these habits, it gives you practical application to apply the habit within the context of your group with like really specific challenges. And I'm telling you, nothing's better than a workout buddy, right? Like if you're going to go to the gym and hit it by yourself, you might do okay. But when your buddies get 25 pounds more on the bar than you do, all of a sudden you're bulking up. You know what I mean? And so like, there's just something about, and this is why Jesus sent disciples out two by two. There's something about doing this together that challenges you. And so, um, I really urge people read the book, but then practice the book in the context of community, use the small group process and allow it to be something that the gospel becomes the mortar, but then the other people really enable you to keep that accountability and do these things. 
I mean, I love that relational aspect to it. I think that's one of the critical components of discipleship. We call that kingdom principles. (laughs) That's that's in the Bible. (laughs) I know, right? Right. (laughs) This is new. There's one really, I know we're getting close to time, but there's one really cool piece to this book. It's not just good literature, right? But there's also really practical application pieces. And one of those tools, those instruments is the assessment piece that's at the end of the book. So kind of quickly walk us through that so that we can uh, just help frame the conversation for our listeners. Totally. Yeah. The assessment is really fun. I actually do the assessment on a regular basis. And uh, what I found with these seven, these seven habits is you never arrive, right? Like there's always Mm -hmm. a deeper level. And what I've always found is that as soon as I approach all seven, I notice there's at least one that I've kind of neglected. Mm. And so what the assessment tool does, it just asks you some simple questions and it kind of helps you pinpoint where do I need to focus my spiritual growth, you know? And so the book's going to give you the tools for how to do that, but the assessment is going to help you kind of determine this is where, you know what, truthfully, I really need to focus on, you know, learning the voice of the Holy Spirit because that's where I'm striking out here. Or, you know what, the truth is I really can't go any further till I deal with this generosity thing. And so it's going to help you kind of figure out where are the spots that I need to focus. So I encourage people do the assessment, honestly, like once a month, it takes 10 minutes, but if you do it once a month, what you'll find is number one, you'll notice your growth. And number two, it'll always give you a fresh way of kind of knowing where to focus. Sure. And so yeah. super easy, but I found it to be, uh, to actually be really helpful. That's amazing. I, 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 this is such, such an interesting thing. I'm fumbling my words, but it's such an interesting piece of the puzzle for me is because discipleship feels like this vague concept sometimes, like go make disciples. The Lord says like, how, and I've never known, like, how do you measure that? Like, how is that measured? And so I think this right. assessment gives us at least some, some practical tools on how to measure it, how to evaluate it. Um, and to look at it through a lens that helps us understand it complete more completely. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think that's one of the questions we're often asking and people are going like, go make disciples. Well, what's that? How what is do that? I do now? How do we totally. measure that? Um, so I appreciate the assessment tool being a part of it. Yeah, so for sure. Justin, we have one final question. We ask every guest that comes on the show. Yes, sir. And, uh, since we do host here at the lovely Uni- Lee university campus, which is bright yeah. and sunny today. So say tomorrow may rain. Um, <laughs> What is one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? You know, that is actually an alley-oop because for me, uh, I learned how to make disciples in college. Yeah, I I led two guys to Jesus, both on the football team. Uh, One was uh, the running back, one was the wide receiver. Neither of them were Christians. I led them both to Christ through crazy circumstances that we don't have time for me to share right now. But but then I moved in with them the next semester. And uh, for the next three years, they were stuck with me as we experimented with these seven habits, they didn't know it at the time, but that's exactly (laughs) what I was doing. And I watched them both. They're both loving Jesus, following Jesus, living incredibly uh, impactful lives for the kingdom today. But those two guys um, were my exhibit A and B, and they were stuck with me all day, every day. And I'm walking the quad with them, sharing Jesus. We're doing the hour in the morning. We were literally doing all this stuff even back then. And, uh, and it changed my life. It changed their life. And it really started my framework for how this actually works. Yeah, that's okay, awesome. Man. I think I think it's so important to know as we disciple others and as we have been discipled, um, mistakes aren't aren't killers of the game, right? right? God's grace, God's power, God's spirit. He is able to keep us and guide us through each of those things as we learn to experiment and we learn to share our faith. Um, but that's so cool. It's so cool that you got an opportunity to do that. Hey, man, we have absolutely loved yeah. 
having you on the show and we appreciate you so much appreciate what you're doing up there in new in new haven and uh literally the other campuses uh, that you're at and uh, as we always say here at the leadership drip bro you've always got a seat at the table thanks for coming <laughs> i appreciate on, it guys an honor to be here thanks for listening to this episode of the leadership drip if something from this episode helped you lead better then share it on your social media and tag us if we see it, we may share it to our channels. We appreciate you taking time to join us. And remember, you always have a seat at the table.